Section 6 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Faith Ann Gibson. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 20. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 6. Johnny Brotherton's Five Sunny Days. From Tales of the Borders. By John McKay Wilson. I have experienced many days both of sorrow and of sadness in the course of my life and experience, said old John Brotherton of Peoples. But with me, bypass sorrows were always like an old almanac, a book that I never opened. Yet weel do I remember the five sunniest days of my existence. They were days of brightness and of joy, without a spot to cloud them. They took place also at various periods of my existence. I no doubt have had, independent of them, many pleasant, warm, bonny days, days wherein I was both pleased and happy. But they passed away like any other fine days, and they weren't remembered for a week. But very different from the like of these ordinary fine days were these which I allude to as the five sunny days of my existence. They were days of pure, unadulterated, uncloyed, almost insupportable delight. They were days, the remembered sunshine of which will not set in my breast until my life set in the grave, but I will give you an account of them. The first occurred when I was about twenty years of age. It was a delightful evening in the month of September on the second day of the month, and just about five minutes past six o'clock. I had just dropped work, for I was a soter, or more appropriately, a cordwainer, and had thrown off my apron and washed my face, and was taking a saunter up off the tweed a bit, on the road leaning down to Innerleithen. I cannot say that I had any object in view, beyond just the helpful recreation of a walk in the fields, after the labours of the day. The sun seemed to be maybe about a dozen of yards upon the hilltop, but there wasn't a cloud in the whole sky, save a wee bit yellow one, hardly broader than the brim of a Quaker's hat, that was geeking o'er the hill, as if to kept the sun. Oh, it was a glorious evening! I dare say it was never equalled at the season of the year. I am sure the leaves, poor things, that were fallen here and there from the trees and hedges, if they could have thought, would have been vexed to fall for their branches while all nature was basking in such sunniness. I met several shearers, with their hooks or their arms, just as I was gone out of the town, and I spoke to them, and they spoke to me. But some of them nodded and laughed at me, and said, "'She's coming, Johnny!' was coming said i and they laughed again and said gang forward and see so i went forward and sure enough who should i see standing beside it yet with her hook or her shoulder and picking the prickles of a day nettle out of her hand but bonny katie lowry not only the comeliest in the borough peoples but in all the wide country i had long been desperately in love with katie but i had never ventured to say as mickle to her though i was aware that she was conscious of the state of my feelings we had often walked together on an evening and I had gained her her fairing, and the like o' that. But I could never get the length of talking about love or marriage, and scores of times had her and me walked by the side of each other for half an hour at a time, without either of us speaking a word beyond saying, Eh, but this is a fine night, half a dozen times o'er. So you may guess that we were a bashful couple. But on the night referred to, as I have said, I saw her standing at a yet, taking a thorn of some kind out of her hand, and I stepped forward and said to her, What has gotten to your hand, Katie? "'It's a jaggy fray and nettle, I think, John,' said she. "'Let me try if I can tuck it out,' said I. She blushed, and the setting sun just streamed across her face. I'll declare I never saw a woman look so beautiful in my born days. You might have lighted a candle at my heart at the moment, I am certain. But I did get her bonny soft hand in mine, and as I held it, I am certain I would not have exchanged that hand to have held the sceptre of the king that sits upon the throne. I soon got out the prickles, but I was so overjoyed at having her hand in mine, that when they were out I still held it in my left hand, while, whether it was by accident or how, I canna tell, but I slipped my right hand round her waist, and in this fashion we sauntered away. But instead of going straight to town, 
we daundered away down to Tweedside. Weel do I remember pressing her to my breast in more than mortal joy, and of saying to her, O oh, Katie, Katie woman, will ye be mine? Will ye marry me, and make me the happiest man that ever put his foot in a shoe on the face of this habitable globe? She hung her head, and poor thing, her bosom heaved like a frightened bird's. But oh, what ecstasy it was to feel its heaving! For a good hour did I stand, pressing her breast to mine, and always saying, Will ye, Katie, oh, will ye, woman? At last, with a great effort, and her very heart bursting with pure affection, she flung her arms o'er my shoulders and said, I will, John. Oh, of all the words that ever a human being heard, nothing could match the music of those three words to me. It was sweeter than the harp of a fairy soughing o'er a moonlit sea, when the winds of heaven are sleeping. Oh, bless ye, bless ye, forever bless ye, cried I. Katie, ye have made me the happiest man in our peoples, and I trust I shall make ye the happiest wife. I absolutely danced with joy and clapped my hands upon my head. If ever there was a man intoxicated with joy, it was me that night, and I am certain that her joy was nothing less than mine, though she did not express it so extravagantly. Neither the one nor the other of us heard the town clock chop nine. Three hours flew o'er our heads, as if they hadn't been three minutes. I set her to her father's door, and just as she was putting her hand upon the snack, "'Eh, John,' whispered she, "'where can I have left my hook?' "'That's wheel-minded,' said I. "'I remember I took it off your shoulder and put it o'er the yet, when I was taking the prickles o'er to your finger. Ye may think of what both of us had been thinking about, when neither of us missed the hook or remembered leaving it till that moment. We went to seek it with her arm through mine, and close to my side I pressed it. And there, accordingly, did we find the hook upon the yet where I had placed it. She rather feared to gang into the house, on account of her being out so late, for her father and mother were strict sort of folk. Therefore I volunteered to go in wi' her, and explain at once how matters stood, for bashful as I was before telling my mind to her, I had broken the ice now, and was as bold as brass. She hesitated for some time, but I urged the thing, and she consented, and into her father's house I went with her. I wasn't along in making the old man acquainted with the nature of my visit, and frankly asked him if he had any sort of objection to taking me for a son-in-law. I wotna, said he, but I dare say no. I didn't see any reasonable objection that I ought to hay. What do ye say, Tibby? added he to his wife. Me? exclaimed she. "'What would ye hae me to say? "'Johnny is a decent lad and a good tradesman, "'and if he likes Katie and Katie likes him, "'I didn't see that you or I can do anything in the matter, "'but just leave it to their twa selves.' "'Weel, John,' said her father to me, "'as Tibby says, "'I suppose it will just have to rest between yourselves. "'If ye are both agreeable, we are agreeable.' "'I wonder I didn't jump through the roof of the house. "'Joy almost deprived me of my specific gravity. "'Never since I was born had I experienced "'such sensations of ecstasy before.' Now this was what I call my first real sunny day. It was a day of memorable joy, and joy too of a particular description, and which a man can feel but once in the course of his existence. I can say without vanity that I had always been a saving lad, and therefore in the course of two or three weeks I took a house which I furnished very respectably. And my second sunny day was that on which Katie and her father and her mother, and a lass that was an intimate acquaintance of hers, came ah to my new house together, Katie never to leave it again for the minister just came in after them. Oh, when I heard the minister pronounce us one, and give us his benediction as man and wife, and a boon all, when I thought that she was now mine, mine for ever, that nothing upon earth could separate us, I almost wondered that poor sinful mortals such as we are should be permitted to enjoy such unspeakable happiness on this side of time. The very tears stood in my eyes with perfect ecstasy, and I could not forbear before the minister and them awe of squeezing her hand and saying, My ain Katie! It was October, but a very mild day, and a very sunny day. Indeed, it might, in all respects, have passed for a day in August. 
After dinner the room became very warm, and the window was drawn down from the top. There was a lark singing its autumn song right upon the house, and its loud sweet notes came pouring in by the window. Poor thing, thought I, your joys are ending, and mine are only beginning, but I trust in the autumn of my days to sing as blithely as ye do now. I gied another glance at my ain Katie, and as I contemplated her lovely countenance, I felt as a man that was never to know sorrow, for I didn't see how it was possible for sorrow to be where such angel sweetness existed. That was my second sunny day, and my third followed after it in the natural course of time, for the event that rendered it memorable was neither more nor less than the birth of my first son, my only son. I was walking out in the fields when the tidings were brought to me, and when I found that I had cause to offer thanks for a living mother and a living child, with perfect joy the tears ran down my cheeks. I silently prayed for my Katie and for my bairn. When I thought that a man's son was born unto me, and that I was indeed a father, the pride and the joy in my heart were almost too great for me to bear. I would not have exchanged the natural and honorable title of father to have been made Emperor of Russia and King of Madagascar. It was a glorious day in the height of summer, and as I hurried home to see, to kiss my bairn and its mother, I believed the very flowers by the roadside were conscious that it was a feather, a new-made feather, that trampled on them. I did it so quickly and so lightly. But great as my joy then was, it was nothing to be compared with what I felt when I saw my Katie and our bairn, when my lips touched theirs. I then did feel the full, the overflowing ecstasy of a feather's heart. Never shall I forget it. That was the third of my five sunny days. The fourth was of a different description, but gave me unmingled satisfaction, and perhaps I may say was in some sort the foundation of the one which succeeded. Now I must make you sensible that Katie made a very notable wife. In her household affairs she set an example that was worthy of imitation by every wife in peoples. There was nothing wasted in our house, and the shadow of anything extravagant was never seen within her door. One night, about six weeks after our marriage, she and I were sitting at the fireside by our two cells, for we never made our house a house for neighbors and their clashes, when she said to me very seriously, "'John, I've heard it said that the first hundred pounds is worse to make than the next five hundred. "'I what now, my dear,' said I, though I say it myself, "'there are none belonging to the craft that can make better wages than I can, "'and if it is your desire to make the endeavor, we all my heart say I.' "'So the thing was agreed upon, and we set about it the very next day. "'I got a strong wooden box made with a hole in the top, "'just about long enough and broad enough to let in a penny-piece edgeways, "'and I caused a bit of leather like a tongue to be nailed o'er the inside of the hole, so that whatever was put in couldn't be taken out till the box was broken open. For many a day both her and me wrought hard, both late and early, to accomplish it. We neither allowed the back to gang bare or shabby, nor did we scrimp our coggy during our endeavours, but we avoided every sixpence, every farthing of unnecessary expense. At length Katie says to me one day, just after dinner-time, "'John, I dare say we shall have the hundred pounds now.' If ye have any objection, we will open the box and see. It was the very thing which I had been wishing her to propose for months, and up I banged upon the kist, and put my hand on the head of the bed where the box was kept. It was very heavy, and required both my hands to lift it down. I forced up the lid, and having locked the door, I placed the box upon the table. The sun was streaming in at the window, so bright that ye would have said it was aware of the satisfaction of Katie and myself, as we saw it streaming upon the heap of treasure which our own industry had gathered together. It took us from two in the afternoon until six at night to count it, for it consisted of gold, silver, and copper, and we counted it thrice over before we made it come twice to the same sum. At last we were satisfied that it amounted to one hundred and fifteen pounds, seven shillings, and eighteen pence halfpenny. 
when I ascertained that the object of my desire, and of my late and early savings, was accomplished, I was that happy that I almost knocked over the table where it was all spread out, counted into parcels of twenty shillings. I threw my arms round Katie, we as mickle rapture as I did on my first sunny day, when she said, I will, John, for the object was of her proposing, and she had the entire merit of the transaction. It was a grand sight to see the sinking sun throwing the shadows of the hundred and odd twenty-shilling towers across the table, and to the far side of the room. Folk talk about the beauty of rainbows, but there never was a rainbow to be compared with the appearance of our floor that evening. We are the shadows of the piles of silver running across it. That was my fourth sunny day. Finding that I was now a man of capital, I took a shop in the front street, and commenced business as a maester, boot, and shoemaker. Katie was remarkably civil in the shop, and I always tried to put good stuff into the hands of customers, so that in a very short time I carried on a very prosperous concern. I also rose very high in the opinion of my fellow craftsmen, and, wonderful to relate, I heard that it was their determination to elect me to the high and honourable office of deacon of the corporation of our ancient and respectable trade in the ancient borough peoples. This was a height to which my ambition never could have aspired, and when I heard of the intention of the brethren, it really made me that I couldn't sleep. It made me not only dream that I was a deacon, but a king, a prince, a bashaw, a dear kins, what, but anything but plain John Brotherton. I thought it was a hoax that some of the craft were wishing to play on me, therefore I spoke of the subject with great caution. But when it was put into my head there was nothing on earth that I so much desired. I thought what an honour it would be when I was dead and gone, for my son to be able to say, My father was deacon of the ancient company of cordwainers and peebles. What a sound that will have, thought I. On the morning of the election I awoke, fearing, believing, hoping, trembling. I could hardly put on my clothes. However, the choosing of office-bearers began, and I was declared duly elected deacon of the company of cordwainers. It was with difficulty that I refrained from clapping my hands in the court, and I am positive I would not have been able to do it had it not been that the brethren came crowding round me to shake hands with me. I went home in very high glee, as you may well suppose, and Katie met me with great joy in her looks. When the supper was set up on the table, "'Katie, my dear,' said I, "'send out for a bottle of strong ale.' "'A bottle of strong ale, John?' quoth she in surprise. "'Remember that though ye have been appointed deacon of the shoemakers, ye are but a mortal man.' Remember, John, that it was by drinking wholesome water we pickles of oatmeal in it that enabled you to save a hundred pounds, and so to become deacon of the trade. But had ye sent for bottles of strong ale to your supper, ye would neither have saved the one, nor been made the other. Na, na, John, think nae mair about ale. Weel, weel, said I. Ye are right, Katie. I canna deny it. That was what I call my fifth sunny day, a remarkable day in my existence, standing out from among the rest, and crowned wi' happiness. End of section six.